have their their uh, top 64 team. Men have 68. The ladies will have 64 teams. And then the NIT and the, uh, if I assume they're going to have a CBI this year, those tournaments will be announced. CBI is a little bit different. They may wait until next week before they do that. But over and above all that, it's really a fascinating day because we see the teams that are going to go in. I'll offer you my predictions for what they're worth right now as to who the number one seeds will be. And I think it's going to be Alabama. I think it will be I'm going to put KU in there. I think Kansas will get a number one. Uh, then we'll probably have Houston. And then comes the fourth team. And I'm going to predict it'll be either Purdue or UCLA. And I'm going to go with Purdue right now. Let's stop right there because uh, the, I, I wouldn't call them upsets. And I know that's a word you don't particularly care for, Ned. But there were several top seeds that were knocked off in their tournament, one being KU and the other being UCLA. In KU's case, though, they have proven themselves during the course of the year. And, yeah, they did lose to Texas. And Texas is – they're not chopped liver. They're a pretty good basketball team. Texas will be there in the run. I don't think the fact that they lost in the title game is going to make any difference there. It might with Purdue because they, you know, they have kind of struggled at times down the stretch here this year after being number one in the country. Same with UCLA. I'll tell you who could sneak in there more than anybody's Gonzaga because they have played well, although the competition's been inferior to what we perceive as being the top level. But uh, we'll, yeah, again, Joe, it, it might make a difference in some of the tournaments where the team has been inconsistent all year long, but not with the powers. Familiar team winning the ACC last night. Yeah. It was it was Duke. Were you surprised by that? I was, yes. I was very surprised because they've had a very down year. In fact, there was some thought they weren't even going to make the big field. Well, they will now. They're the automatic qualifier. And who knows? Maybe Coach Shire has them beginning to mold into form. And who knows? Maybe Coach K has been in there offering a few suggestions. They're, they're not bad. They have good athletes. But... They still haven't had a very good year. I'll tell you who won't be in the field, though, is North Carolina. They're our tribal. They, I don't think we'll make it. They'll probably go to the NIT. What about Missouri now? They played. Uh, they had a very good game against Alabama. They, they lost. I mean, it's, it's hard to say good game, but they lost. But they, Alabama, the number one team in the nation, been in and out of that spot most of the year. And Missouri came in and played a good game. We were talking before we went on the air. Mizzou's a real matchup team. They are a legitimate dark horse, in my opinion, and I wouldn't be at all surprised when you take a look at early April when you come down to the Final Four. There's always some mystery team in there, be it a Butler or a Virginia Commonwealth or a Loyola of Chicago or somebody like that. Well, not that Mizzou's a mystery team. It wouldn't be surprising, judging by what might happen with their matchups, that they don't beat somebody. If you haven't played Missouri, you're a team that's going to find that they're, hey, they're a long-distance shooting club. They have some terrific athletes. No, they have some liabilities. Their defense, they sometimes get lost on defense. These guys can shoot, and they can shoot from long distance, and if they get into a rhythm, they can bury somebody. They, they gave Alabama a pretty good fight for a while yesterday before really the, the strength and the talent finally began to pay off. Mizzou is a legitimate dark horse. You, we were talking about uh, KU. They lost in the, the Big 12 tournament. They are still being picked in the bracket watch as being the top team mm -hmm. overall, even with that loss, which I know still rankles Josh Roberts <laughs> about football. Let's uh, talk about this for a second. Just what team do you think, besides Mizzou, has a real chance to make a run in this year's tournament? Any of them. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It, it's, there's been a lot of parody in college basketball. There this year. is a tremendous amount of parody in college basketball. UConn 
Now, they've kind of flown under the radar all season long. They are a distinct possibility. Gonzaga, uh, St. Mary's. I think St. Mary's has a great team, and yet Gonzaga blew them out of the ballpark in their championship game. It happens to be a run that you get on the teams in Arizona. University of Arizona is real good. That's a, a fine basketball team, and it, yet it could be some – some unheralded ball club like uh, maybe Virginia Commonwealth, which is going to be in the tournament after having won their league. Or, now this is probably not going to happen, but the Patriot League champion is Colgate, and they're pretty good. But, again, it's, it's probably going to be somebody who's, who hasn't gained a lot of notoriety during the course of the season if there is to be a magic number four this year in the tournament. I hate this play-in game thing that, that they do. And that'll be, uh, what, Tuesday or Wednesday night they'll play those Both. Games? Okay, Tuesday and Wednesday night. And the reason why to care about that, if you're a local person, Southeast Missouri State's in. That's where they're going. I'm yeah, quite sure that's where they're going to yeah, go. Yeah, they're, they're predicting that they'll play Howard in the Eastern Conference. They'll and beat then, Howard. And the next game that they would play would be against Purdue. They won't be Purdue. But, <laughs> but that, that, that's, just, that's just the way that it lines up right now. What about, uh, of course, Missouri State not going to make it this year, but what about out of their conference, how many teams are going to make it and who should we be watching? There will only be one, and that will be the league champion, Drake, the tournament winner, and they're good. The DeVries kid is a special athlete, may go to the NBA next year, but he is eligible to return to Drake for another year. We hope he doesn't do that because he kicked our behinds down here. <laughs> he, is, he is a very, very good player, very heady player. Not overly quick, but a great shooter. And one of these guys, his dad's the coach of the team, Darian DeVries. The DeVries kid, his son, is Big, but not not overly physical, but he has that intrinsic way to be able to get himself free, work off picks, and score at, at will. He's a really, really a good player. Drake, Drake could win a couple games. I don't think they'll go real far, but they could win a couple games. It's a veteran team. They're all seniors. They've all been around. <laughs> the one guy, Roman Penn, He's about ready for Social Security as long as he's been up there. <laughs> I think this is his his seventh year, I think, if oh, I'm not wow, mistaken. Oh, wow, wow. How does really, that work? Yeah. Uh, injuries, COVID, and, uh, you wow. know, it works that way. Okay. You can redshirt years. Wow. You're looking at uh, the possibility that, Drake, the prediction is that they'll play Texas A&M in the first round. Of course, none of this is set. This is just I'm looking over the brackets that yeah. – ESPN is predicting right now. They they pick Kansas, Alabama, Purdue, and Houston yeah, as being be the top four teams right now. Were you surprised by the UCLA loss? Oh, not really, because that league, the Pac-12, really anything can happen. When Washington State, Washington State came in, this Washington State women's team came in there and beat California. In uh, in one of the regional playoff games, their first <laughs> first NCAA berth since 1941. Wow! And they, see, anything can happen. The, it, it's the bounce of the ball. It's you just can't tell. There's so many so many variables involved. But the Pac-12 is not it's it's not weak. I don't want to say that. But you have UCLA, Arizona, and sometimes Oregon. Although Oregon's kind of squirrely too. <laughs> it's it just, it just a di different league altogether. Anybody that you've got your eye on, Alec? Oh, I'm, you know, to echo what Ned said, this is a, it, I think this is a real exciting year just because of how open it seems to be. You know, I, you can think of 
there a lot of teams have shared that number one seat, that number one position this year. No one's really flat out dominated it. So I'm just looking forward to watching the the field as a whole because one of my favorite things about this time of year is there is someone out there right now who we do not know their name, and in three weeks they're going to be a <laughs> national icon right. because they're going to light it up for a few rounds and capture the hearts of all of us because who doesn't want to see that that 14 seed make it to the Elite Eight, things like that. So I just I can't wait for it all to get started. I have to imagine for the most part the bracket – the bracketologists have got it all figured out. The outcomes of today's game, maybe if Purdue loses, could change something. But UCLA losing last night, I think, really knocked them off of any kind of one seed. Probably position. a number one, yes. If they had won, if they had won yesterday, they might get up in there. But with the loss, but also you know Arizona's a good team. That's a it was a game between like a four loss team and a six loss team. So that's not a loss you can necessarily be too dejected about. But I I just can't wait for everything to get started and to, you know, I'll root for Mizzou myself until they inevitably break my heart because that's what Mizzou does. <laughs> and then I'll pick some underdog, root against Kansas, and do my usual March routine. It'll be great. Yeah. What about you, Josh? Well, I'm excited for this, too, because like you guys have been saying, it's such a wide-open field. There's no clear-cut best team in college basketball this year for the men. And so it'll be exciting to see. I mean, obviously, I'm going to root for Alabama and root against Kansas, just like Alec. <laughs> uh, but I want to see, like, what Ned's talking about. I, I always look for, like, that 10 seed or right around there because usually one of the 10 seeds makes it to the Elite Eight or makes it maybe to the Final Four. So there's those are the teams to watch, I think, is right in that mid-seeding because if they are playing hot, if the matchups are good for them, then they've got that opportunity to go deep. Yeah, Josh, you just mentioned it right there. If you get the proper matchups, yeah. and you do get them in that NCAA oh, tournament. Oh, yeah. That's the beauty of it. And these teams haven't played each other. They can watch some film on their opponent. But once they get out on the court, that's that's the beauty of basketball is the the underdog still has a chance. And that's what I say all the time is, you know, I love the movie Hoosiers because of what it was, you know, the state championships in in basketball and this underdog team wins it the ncaa tournament is a is one of the few tournaments where that can still happen do you remember the great psychological tool that the coach for milan used at the start of the game they're in the hinkle Fieldhouse at butler that's where they played all those state championships uh-huh. kids go out and these are farm kids go out there and they're playing somebody from indianapolis i think it is some some big school goes out there with a tape measure goes up to the rim of the basket what do you know about that? These baskets are 10 feet. They're the same height that we played back at Milan, boys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <it> exactly. <laughs> You're listening to Ned Talk, your local live sports talk show. I guess that's what you'd call it. Just conversation about sports. We're talking about the NCAA tournament. Want to also mention a couple of big coaching names are in the news. One's Jim Beheim. Mm-hmm. Longtime coach at Syracuse, mm-hmm. and he has decided to hang it up. Yeah, he's now Jim's 78, and he's been at that helm since Roy Danforth left back in the late 70s. He's been there and done a great job. And he just has finally decided, hey, his system, I think he's one of those who doesn't like this nil situation nor right. the transfer portal. So he said, hey, I'm going to get out. I can get my full retirement and so forth and so on. But his matchup zones at Syracuse were really tough to beat. Did have one national championship in that group. And he also had some pretty good players up there at Syracuse, too. One of whom one of whom was in town during the Tournament of Champions, too, to watch his son play. 
uh, Carmelo Anthony. But that's just, that just one. They had so many up there, and he did a great job, great job of recruiting and coaching basketball and entertaining the fans, and they had their fan base at that Carrier Dome up oh, there, yeah. which seats you can – jam in about forty-five or 50,000 for big basketball games up there. But having said that, Bayheim retiring, yes. Uh, the coach at Texas Tech, Mark Adams, they, they made some remarks that just simply weren't acceptable, and one of the players didn't like it, and, boy, it gets canned right away. Well, well, it's not the other me. The other coach that I was talking about was Rick Pitino. His name is <laughs> – really, honestly, he's like a bad penny. He won't go away at this point. I mean, he, he all the controversy that surrounds him – Everything that's happened, his name still circulating as a possible coach next year. Well, he is coaching this year. He's oh. got he has Iona, and they're they're in the tournament. But his name is being bandied about now at the coach at St. John's because they let go of Mike Anderson yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I uh, and you have to understand, Patino, this is his profession, and while he is a controversial character, he has two things going for him. Number one is he's a very, very, very good coach, very good coach. And number two, and I've met him a couple times, he meets people like you've never seen before. He is a people person. Stick that hand right there and make you feel like you're – you're the top of the world. Just that, that key ingredient, and that's how he's able to win over a lot of these folks now. Will he become involved in sordid activities? You bet you're behind. You bet <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this, because you, and I'm interested to get your take on this, uh, especially college basketball coaches, maybe even to some degree college football coaches. Are they great coaches or are they great recruiters? Well, I think both fall into it. Some some are really not good X's and O's coaches, but they surround themselves with their assistant coaches who are very good at that. Uh, but for the most part, yeah, good recruiters are individuals who can identify very strongly with players who they want and allow uh, bring them in, meet them in person. Bear Bryant was outstanding at doing that in his down-home Alabama way. Hey, why don't you boys come up here and play for me? That, that kind of thing. And that, that resonates very well with individuals when you do that. And there are others who can't do that. But in the case of Patino, he is a, a genius at being able to bring – and another one was Charlie Spoonhour. He yeah. did the same thing. Yeah, oh, yeah. just Except it, in Spoon's case, he was also a really good X's oh, and O's coach. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Charlie Spoonhauer, one of the best. I mean, and and we, you say Charlie Spoonhauer's name around Springfield, Missouri, and it's this almost hush reverence. <laughs> Charlie Spoonhauer. Oh, why can't there be another Charlie Spoonhauer here? But the, the truth is he's one in a million. We'll never see his kind again. No, yep. now, that's a once-in-a-life And if you do, you probably have him for three years, and that's it. So, that's right. and, then, and then he moves on. What a great era that was in college basketball right here in Springfield, Missouri. I mean, it just was an amazing time because uh, the expectation level was set when he came in that we were going to be in the NCAA tournament. If we weren't, we were going to be in the NIT, and we were going to compete at yeah. all levels, at all time. And, uh, you know, we've caught lightning in the bottle here. Yeah, we did. Over the years, Steve Alford had a good run. I mean, uh, and, and went deep one year. And, and it went to Sweet 16, and yeah. that's why I'm mentioning about the matchups because they yeah. had great matchups. As you played a Wisconsin team over whom the Bears had beaten the year before in regular season competition, knew they matched up well, and beat them 40... 43 to 32 or something like that in the lowest scoring NCAA tournament <laughs> game in history. You tricked them. Yeah. That's how they played them. That's how Alford played them. And then played a Tennessee team 
that absolutely was not ready to play. They were they took Missouri State or Southwest Missouri State as they were back then. Took them lightly, went out on the court, and the Bears hit everything in sight. One eighty one to fifty one. Now, how do you do that? Well, you get fortunate with your matchups, right. and that can happen in any tournament, anything. Absolutely, and that's one of the, like we've all been sitting around talking about. Let's before we go into the break, let's talk about favorite. NCAA tournament memories, something <laughs> that really has stuck with you over the years. Start with you, Nick. I think Valvano's coach at Nor- uh, episode at North Carolina State when they scored with about two seconds to go on a lob to the basket. I think that's that's missed shot. Yeah, it was a missed shot, and the kid put it back in. That's one, but I think probably more than that is sitting at courtside at the Omni in Atlanta and watching the Bears beat Clemson which I never, number one, I never thought I'd see, be around to see the Bears in the NCAA, and here they are yeah. within three years or four years after being a Division One team, and they're in the tournament. And to beat Clemson and Horace Grant, are you kidding yeah. me? And I'm oh, watching Grant. this happen? Jeez. Yeah. yeah, the excitement. What about you, Alec? I got two. One, because I don't have any memories of a team I root for doing well in the tournament, so I have to think of teams I root, teams I root against doing poorly. I still remember the name Ali Farouk Manesh from yeah. Northern Illinois. That Northern Iowa. North Iowa. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't remember that part. But getting getting a steal, getting a breakaway, and rather than taking the easy layups, planting his feet at the three-point line and just burying a three <laughs> and just knocking KU out of the tournament, that was good fun. And then here recently, the national championship game between North Carolina and Villanova. That was one of the best basketball games I've ever seen, trading big shots. And, you know, just when you thought one team was going to pull it out, Nova's guy goes down to the rest of history. So it's just, it's just good basketball about sunrise to sunset for a few weeks, and it's fantastic. Josh? Well, I remember uh, I was in junior high when – SMS beat Clemson, and we got to watch that game in the library at Hickory Hill. And so I, I've, I remember that. I also remember when they played Kansas, they only lost to Kansas by three points because of Danny Manning, and Kansas oh. won the national championship that year. No, no, the next year. Oh, it was the next year. Yeah. But Kansas was an amazing team, and they – the Bears had a legitimate shot at beating them that year. I'll tell you how awesome they did it too, Josh. The in in the interim between the Bears win and their game with KU, you have an off day, and you have a chance. The media has a chance to visit with the coaches for twenty or twenty five minutes. So I said to Spoon, uh, "What are you going to do in this game? This is KU you're playing for heaven's sake." He said, "I'll tell you exactly what we're going to do now." Now, Spoon always was comedic about uh-huh. what he said. Well, we're going to allow Danny to score all the points he wants and then take the rest away from them. I said, oh, Spoon, really, what are you going to do? What, what, are you going to hit him with a special defense? He said, didn't you hear what I just said? <laughs> That's exactly what he did. Yeah. They, Manning scored a career high and, and tournament high 42, and the rest of the team was blanked, and Bears almost beat him. Yeah. 64 they, to 61, I think it yeah, was. Yeah, they were so close. I had three friends that uh, <laughs> went to KU, and I had to hear about that. But it was during the game. It was so tight, and they were so nervous, and mm-hmm. we felt like we were playing on house money at that point. So whatever happened for Missouri State or SMS at the time was great. I have two. One uh, that well, actually, I could name off dozens. Michael Jordan playing in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, that game was that. Uh, and James Worthy. That game was just an amazing game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Weber. Yeah, and the timeout, the, time the, yeah. the Fab Five, I remember no, that. No timeouts. <laughs> and, and, and Christian Leitner. And Leitner. 
that was that the shot. that was when Duke paid for the championship to beat U, uh, UNLV. <laughs> oh wait, no wait. I Brian Tyndall is our general manager here, and Brian Tyndall is a hardcore Duke fan, so you might want to rethink that statement. Brian, I like you. You've never met him, but he, I but, have. I've but, met Brian. But, well, so. now, guys, how about in that to that end? Duke's unbelievable win over UNLV in the that's semifinals. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about the the Kentucky, the win over Kentucky, the Leitner shot. Yeah, but I'm talking about how no one could beat UNLV until Duke beat them. And Bobby Hurley and Come company on. went out there and got it done. <laughs> <laughs> I say to that. When we come back, there's been some uh, news and noise around the NFL, and we'll talk about all that on Ned Talk. We're your local live sports talk show. You're listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, part of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, a proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs radio network. You know, the part that I hate about getting old (laughs) the most is all these great people who pass away, and we just don't have them anymore because they're gone. We just have memories, and we lost another great Chiefs great this week. Otis Taylor passed away at the age of 80. The game breaker, Otis Taylor. Yep. One of the uh, first Chiefs who I had the great pleasure of interviewing up at Chiefs training camp in Liberty, Missouri, when they were up there. Great interview. He said, where are you from? And I said, "I'm." you've never heard of this place. It's Springfield, Missouri. Oh, man, Springfield, Missouri. It's the coldest place I've ever been to in my life. He had played basketball for Prairie View A&M oh, down nice. here when they played the Bears on a January night in 64, 65, somewhere around there. Otis Taylor was just a just a gifted athlete. He could do so many things. They, Lenny Dawson, I remember him once saying, well, I just throw the ball in the air because you know Otis is going to catch it. He had that great turnaround of Grady Alderman in the, in the game with the Minnesota Vikings for the Super Bowl, went 46 yards for a touchdown. He, he had it all going for him. He's been, he'd been ill for quite some time, had Parkinson's, unable to make personal visits anymore. In fact, I'm not even sure that uh, he could. I think he was bedridden for much of that time. So it's, it's, I'm sure it's a blessing in many respects, but he was, he was one of the Chiefs' all-time greats. 7,306 yards receiving, 57 touchdowns, two 1,000-yard seasons in an era when passing was not the main thing in football like it is today. So those numbers, they may not be impressive to a, a guy like Alec who's uh, – <laughs> Not alive when Otis Taylor played, but when you put them in the context of the time that he played in, they're very impressive. How about one of the great acts, and this didn't happen, I think it was 68 or 69, and the Chiefs are playing the Oakland Raiders in Kansas City, and it's the late afternoon game. The lights are on, it's late in the season, big game, lots going on, big crowd on hand and all this sort of thing, and Lenny decides... It's, it's very close, and Lenny has to run with the ball, which Len Dawson never did. And he scrambles to the side, goes out of bounds, and Ben Davidson of the Oakland Raiders levels him with a forearm shiver. Mm. It's totally illegal play. Here come the flags out, and here comes Otis Taylor. And he takes a swing at Ben Davidson, and the fight was on. And that lasted about 10 to 15 minutes. 
And they, I believe, if I remember correctly, they were it was not at Arrowhead. It was old Municipal Stadium in Kansas City. It was the biggest brawl. TV cameras are all focused on it. It was it was something else to see. But it was Otis coming to the rescue of his QB. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Ben Davidson, a big guy. Oh, huge. Oh, yeah. yeah. And mean. Absolutely. Yeah, mean. So probably never going to see a guy like Otis Taylor ever again. And uh, we you know, send our condolences out to his family and friends. And it's tough in the Chiefs family when they've lost another great like Otis Taylor. Now let's turn to uh, a not-so-great that's being mentioned with the Kansas City Chiefs. They went to the workout for Odell Beckham (laughs) Jr. I just can't see him helping the team that much. He's He's been a problem for other clubs. He had at one time a lot of talent. I bow to Alec here because... Because you're a little bit more, you're young by a whole lot, younger than I am, and you, he probably resonates a little bit differently with you than he does me. But I wouldn't have this guy on my team. I, I think, I think, and whether they had a direct representative there or not, that workout that Odell Beckham held, I would imagine teams had somebody there. The man's had too much splash, too much talent, has shown too much potential in his past to ignore it, and a what is regarded as a pretty weak free agent market at wide receiver and not only that but a fairly weak compared to previous years market at wide receiver in the draft there's just not a ton out there to go out and get if you're a team that's really desperate for a wide receiver so it really just heightens a guy like Odell Beckham who has had success Super Bowl winner you know has we don't know what he's going to look like now that he's coming back from an injury but it's one of those things where you're just I think you're just doing your due diligence. There's a chance the Chiefs are interested in him and there's a chance they're just seeing what's he what he's putting out there. But I would imagine whether they're interested or not, almost all thirty two teams at least were there looking because again, if you if he's still got it and you need a wide receiver, he's he's probably the top option on the free agent market right now. There's some rumor floating around that uh, Arizona is willing to part with DeAndre Hopkins and that the Chiefs should maybe consider that as a possible trade landing spot. What are your thoughts? Well, who would they who would they give up on? You've well, still got a pretty good receiving core there. But you could trade some of those draft picks that you have. They even got a couple of conditional picks. They that have eleven adding. overall. So yeah. the Chiefs have eleven draft choices. So yeah, from that standpoint, you could. But uh, to DeAndre Hopkins, fine player. Fine player, but he had his problems last year as well. The injury factor. Heck, he didn't. Did he ever play toward the end of the season at all? He missed. He missed the first six games with a with a suspension, suspension for a for right. a banned substance. So then he came back and came back and was on a tear for a few weeks. And then he missed a few with injury as well. He's not young, you know. He's he's at least thirty years old. But when he's right, it's it's a short list of guys that are better. I still think they're going to be very hesitant. You have Canarius Tony, who was coming on, and if he stays healthy, he's good. Juju Smith-Schuster, Valdez, Scantling on the team, and while they are not kids anymore, well, Tony is, but by the by the same token, they can still get out there and play the game. I, I just don't think they're going to take much of a chance. You think they're going to sit pretty pat when it comes to the draft, and they're just going to draft for potential and depth do you, is that how you see this going now I do I think depth is a major factor with this team they're losing they're losing their share of players from the bench and from the starting you know they do they do a lot of substituting there on defense and with the offensive line and so forth so yeah Kansas City does need depth I don't think they go for any huge name not that that's not to 
degrade any of the players who are available. They should concentrate more on the overall unique structure. You've got to replace uh, uh, the Brown kid, who is probably going to be a free agent starting on Wednesday, Orlando Brown, and Nate. There, there are just some holes there that need to be filled. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. A couple of uh, they've decided not to lay the franchise tag on Orlando Brown. And uh, Frank Clark was released this last week. And so how do you replace those two guys? Well, maybe they won't have to with Clark. He could still come back. He's a free agent, and he'll weigh all his offers. In Orlando Brown's case, he's uh, an unrestricted free agent, which means that the teams and they can't start talking to him. Well, let me rephrase that. They can start telling him that they're interested. But in terms of negotiating, they can't do that till Wednesday. That's when the business NFL business season opens up. And then I think the negotiating for him will be pretty strong. Now, the Chiefs may be pulling a ploy here in a situation like this. They may be allowing him to become a free agent, seeing what his market value is, and if it's not what he thinks. One of the reasons they didn't put that franchise tag on him, Joe, is because of what it would cost them, almost $20 million. They, my gosh, we're going to pay that for an offensive lineman? Well, let's see what the free agent market offers, and if it's upwards of that, then the Chiefs will have the right to match that and bring him back, but... We'll see. It's been probably be an awful lot of money. I know they're hoping to catch lightning in the bottle because they drafted Creed Humphreys, and he has quickly climbed the charts to being in the top five best centers mm-hmm. in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, they're they're looking that hopefully maybe they, they can do that again with the draft this you year. You never know. That's just it. Alex, <laughs> Each year your, is different. Your thought on the, the roster in the draft? I think – I personally think Brown's going to be gone just because I think – a really good left tackle is worth a lot, and I don't think the Chiefs are going to be able to compete with the open market that he's going to get. I think there will be a team that is willing to overpay to bring him in, and a, a lot of these teams that would be are in need of a left tackle are teams that aren't paying a guy like you're paying Mahomes. As friendly as his deal is, it's still <laughs> a big deal. So I think I think they will ultimately get outbid there. So it will come to a draft or a guy who's currently on the roster to step up and replace him. I'm not familiar with who would be running the backup tackles at this point. There's a handful of good tackles coming out in this draft, but where the Chiefs are picking right now, they will almost certainly be gone, the premier guys. Uh, there's a guy out of Northwestern, Skoranek, uh, the guy who's built like a house out of Ohio State who's all of 6'8", 320, mm-hmm. guys like that. The Chiefs won't be able to get unless they trade up with. But, you know, we've talked about here before, they have a lot of picks. They might try and trade up. And for an offensive lineman in the middle of the first round, that could be something viable for them because that's a range their picks could get them up to. Austin Reader's on the roster. I don't know. He He's had some difficulties defending and I don't know if he's the guy you want at left tackle Nick Algretti is also on the roster he might step up and but you don't know I mean you want to protect that investment and one of the mantras of this show is if you look at successful football franchises and teams what do they have they have a really good quarterback and then they have the offensive line to protect him yep and if you don't have those two things you're not going to have a winning program. You're not going to have a winning team. Josh? Well, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, uh, when the offensive line was beaten up and broken, that's what led to them losing that Super Bowl to Tampa Bay was they couldn't protect Mahomes. And so they they did that very well this past season, and you saw the result. So I think it's unfortunate that Orlando Brown will probably be gone, but it will be interesting to see what they feel like his fair market value is and – 
if the I mean the Chiefs may end up if they decide okay we got to keep this guy they may end up paying them what they would have paid if they had put the franchise tag on him so who knows but as far as the draft goes I mean I feel like they're in the driver's seat they have so many picks they have a lot that they can work with we know what we feel they need to do they need depth they need to shore up you know keep adding to the defense keep adding some depth they don't really need any huge offensive players I don't think Odell Beckham is a good fit for the Chiefs I think he's just he's fried potatoes man he's like so many of these guys that they think their stuff doesn't stink and then you know no single player is as good as these guys think they are and I don't think it would be a good fit I think they need to if they need a wide receiver try to get a young one out of college or or something else i mean these high profile guys don't ever work out now when is the draft is that two three weeks away what april the 27th a month away and yeah. it's 27 28 and 27 28 29 yep. and it's in kansas city that's right and uh tomorrow morning when you get up early and you listen to mike the intern make sure you give him a call and say hey you know the ned talk guys they need to be in kansas city for the draft <laughs> they need to do a special show from there so call Mike tomorrow morning, tell him that, and see if we can't get this happening because we need to be there. It's Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. You're listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, part of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Back to Ned Talk. On 104.7, The Cave, a proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs radio network. I was sitting here earlier and I mentioned the part that sucks about aging are these people that pass away. Bud Grant passed away, 95 years old. Didn't, I didn't, in all honesty, realize he was still living. <laughs> 95 well, years old. I didn't old. admit that on the air, but yes. Well, he, was so low key. he wasn't a guy who really called a lot of attention to himself, but a terrific coach. Minnesota Vikings, I'll tell you what resonated with Bud Grant's teams. You know, back then, they didn't have any dome. They played right. all outside, and he never let his Vikings players wear gloves or anything like that, any kind of protection at all, other than the uniform, of course. But he was he was hardcore. He really was. Great, and they won. They great won old school coach. They played in the Super Bowl three times, lost all three times. Bud Grant no longer with us today. I want to talk about a couple of things before we get to Drury's women's basketball team. Uh, number one, uh, XFL. I know that you guys don't have really much interest in this, but I do. I think it's worth mentioning. There was a great turnout last week at the home opener for the St. Louis Battlehawks. I think they had about thirty thousand people for that game. Which was for a XFL well, game. That's pretty amazing. I must admit, you, I thought it was this weekend was their home. No, home. they had it last weekend. Well, that has so much interest I had, and I thought they <laughs> played. Didn't they play the uh, the Washington team in the in the capital last week? I thought it was coming up today. Was their no, home they opener. they played their home opener last week, and they're I expecting they, thirty thousand. I thought it was what. Well, and, I, and, and, maybe, and they, I believe they well, lost. You have to too. understand the city of St. Louis. It is a sports town. Yes, it, it the Cardinals and the soccer team and the Blues. They're they're very important. But they also had the St. Louis Cardinals and the St. Louis Rams for a number of years, and they don't have anything now. So I really feel like the guys, the, the whole population, the sports public in St. Louis is hungry for something to happen. And having the 
Battle Hawks there, and you know, you got the McCarran kid, an Alabama player, a quarterback. He has some credibility. The league has gained some TV, although the ratings are abysmal. But over and above that, hey, you have it, an opportunity. Let's let's see some football. What else are you going to do? Well, it, it's kind of nice, and I, I I hope that the people that run these leagues, the USFL and the and the XFL, that they they kind of take note of of St. Louis and and see, okay, thirty thousand people show up to a football game in the you know what's ostensibly the spring and go see what is not very good quality football but they're still willing to see it i hope they take note and and they go okay well, let's look for more cities like st louis i, I do want to mention this too before we get to um missouri's to drury women's basketball team we here in springfield got the first franchise of the new arena football league which is put together by hall of famer tim brown that was announced this week, and they're going to play out at the fairgrounds. Uh, you know, I'm personally excited about this. Season will begin in June of 2024. The arena, of course, is in the process of being built right now. It'll encompass probably for football in the neighborhood of 44,000 to 4,500 people. It is indoor football. Mr. Brown, who is a great interview, my goodness sake, this guy's a pro. He's done this many, many times, articulated as to – how, yeah, it's different. It's different football. You have different rules and all that. It'll be six on six, and the, the teams will be 15 players, so you'll have a, a pretty fair amount of depth on the team as well. But it's it's very fast. The field is only 50 yards long, and there's no kicking. You can't kick anything. You've got to score all of it, all two-point conversions and so forth and so on. So it's exciting. It's high scoring. And we feel, he being his organization, that Springfield is going to be a very good market for it, and it may be. But, again, it's kind of a niche sports item it, it'll be it'll, I think very good five home games all they'll have it's a 10 game season and it'll be June July and August and when they play I, I suspect the first couple of years will do pretty well but then it'll kind of wane just like a lot of these other situations do that are kind of gimmick leagues as opposed to being NFL type circumstances but I do think it's it's a good deal I like it well world team tennis I mean you could call that gimmicky it is and it's gone <laughs> yeah but it did well here when it was here oh joe yeah i think everything's in in relative perspective yeah the the team was financed of course it was financed by a very wealthy backer uh, from a public standpoint no the crowds were not not very good it was the hardcore tennis people who went out to see it i'm one of them i was there and i loved it these are pros you had McEnroe here and you had Jimmy Connors here and Martina Navratilova showing. It, it, from that standpoint, you see all these big stars. But what was the nature of the competition? Did you identify with what was going on? Not really. And as a result, well, the whole league is pretty much disbanded now. Yeah, we I, we went out when I think second or third season that we were on the air, and it was the first time I've ever been out there. And I, I tell you, I had a great time. It was. It was. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Tennis, tennis was very good. Yeah, very fun. So let's talk about Drury women's basketball. You wanted to bring that up. Let's uh, let's do that now. Yeah, unfortunately, their bid for a national championship is gone now. It ended yesterday afternoon, and here's the, the, the team they lost to is hardly what you would call chopped liver. Grand Valley State, one of the top Division II teams in America. So was Drury, but it was really hoping, everyone was hoping, it would be Drury versus Ashland for the regional title, which would be tantamount to the national championship game. It won't be now. It'll be Grand Valley versus Ashland. But here's Drury ending up with only two losses on the year. But then again, that's all Grand Valley State has, just two losses on the year. That's oh, how wow. good a team it was. It was one of these games, if they were to play ten times, each would win five. 
and this was just not Drury's time to win it. And it's a shame because they had their chances uh, and had the lead. But it was back and forth, back and forth, and down the stretch, the Grand Valley team was able to get their foul shots to go and able to make some key three-pointers, and 60-53 to 53 was the final score that Grand Valley State won. Ends the season, and Drury finishes with a record of 31-2, and two, 31 wins and two losses. And both both Drury and Grand Valley now have the same record, same record. But they're wow. the ones who are going on. And World Baseball Classic is happening right now. It got its start. Yeah, I know everybody was overwhelmed by the fancy Great Britain <laughs> uniforms yesterday. Have you been watching any games, Ned? Oh, I've watched all of them. Yeah. Uh, the uh, matter of fact, when the USA played the San Francisco Giants, I watched that. And gosh, what is the Giants pitching shut them down? Yeah. It was 5-1 to one was the final. The Giants won the game, and here's this team of all-stars. When you look at them parade out there on the field and you see, you see guys like Arnado and Trout and Schwarber and people all coming up right in the same batting order, Mookie Betts, people like, is anybody going to beat this team? Well, it's baseball, and anything can happen in baseball. You get a good matchup, you get a good pitcher in there, and, well, case in point, who gets to start for the USA yesterday? Adam Wainwright of the Cardinals. And what does he do in the first inning? Surrenders a home run to somebody I've never heard of before. You, it, it can happen. That's the way baseball is some played. Now, British, the USA. Some British chap. No, I, th- I think he was. Uh, that's a good bloke you're talking about. Yeah, that's a, a good bloke. bloke. <laughs> yeah. Came up there with a cricket bat and he was hoping yeah, to get a sticky the, wicket. The, the rules concerning this World Baseball Classic are very loose. And, uh, well, Matt Kaperniak of the Great Britain team played here with the Springfield Cardinals last year. And there are individuals who were either high minor leaguers who had some association with Britain, like the grandmother was born in the Bahamas or something like that. These are all guys who were professionals, but not at that level. Still, uh, they play Canada a little bit later on today. <laughs> the Canadian team has Tyler O'Neill of the Cardinals playing for them. That's how, that's how these rules are altogether different. So the fact that the, fact that the USA... Again, you when they come out of the dugout, you expect hey, all these guys are going to hit home runs all day long. But no, it's it's good competition. I, I enjoy the whole concept of the thing. What was the final score yesterday of the uh, Great Britain game? Six to two. Wow, USA won it. Yep. The big shot was a three-run homer by Schwarber, and that occurred, I think, in the fourth inning. Does that sound right, Alex? Fourth, fourth or fifth. He demolished it. He knew it as soon as he swung it. He admired it <laughs> right from the start. <laughs> Interestingly enough, Joe, they had almost 40,000 for that game. It's a, Their games, they're, they're in the pool that's playing at Chase Field in Phoenix. There are uh, two in Asia, one's in uh, Yokohama. That's where the Team Japan is beating everybody's backside. Very good. And one in Taiwan, and I think the Korean team is playing there, if I'm not mistaken. And then two in the United States, Chase Field in Miami. And that's where the finals will be held, Miami. And that will be next weekend, I believe, is when that's going to be. Excellent. When we come back, we'll talk about what we're going to watch on TV this afternoon. It's Ned Talk. You're listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, part of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. 
a proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs radio network. Yes, we are a proud member of the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs radio network. We are your home for the Chiefs. Love doing that. Love carrying the Chiefs. Love talking about sports, which is what we're doing today. We've covered just about everything. I mean, we talked a little college basketball we've talked world baseball classic we dipped our toe into the xfl (laughs) we've talked nfl just that's what i love about the conversation it just didn't talk about the tpc though where the first prize is four and one half million dollars am i in the running for that yes Uh, you are okay all right good to know (laughs) (laughs) you know i i we i purposely avoid kind of talking about what we're going to talk about before we start the show because I like just the kind of the organic nature of the conversation so because I think I you know that's what I want this to be is four guys sitting around talking sports like you would if you were hanging out at your local bistro you were having a beverage with a friend and you were considering what the Chiefs are going to do in the draft or you were talking about world baseball classic or you you know, we're doing whatever. That's what we want it to be. I think uh, I think we do a good job at succeeding to do that. I'm sorry, I'm I'm verbally patting myself on the back with you, this one. So let's, you let's, it. let's you just go. let's just talk about something else now. So um, Sunday afternoon, there's a lot going on. You mentioned TPC, which is just to watch that for the course itself, which is just an amazing, an amazing golf course to check out. And uh, so that's going to be on this afternoon. It is the final round is today. The I, I want to see if Scotty Scheffler, who is one of the top golfers in the world, number one in the world, as a matter of fact, until John Rahm took it over at Rahm is not in the tournament. He has some kind of an illness. And Scheffler's been in the lead at 14 under. Now, you get to be 14 under at TPC Sawgrass, and you're playing pretty yeah, doggone on good fire. golf. That right. is a tough course, especially number 17. Everybody knows what that is. That's the Island Green. And it is very difficult to Number one, get your ball in the green, let alone not hit it in the water. <laughs> but I want to see how that ends today. Are you making reference to what we're going to watch? Yeah, I. you know, uh, that's just a good life philosophy because I've always hit my ball in the water. I've never been able to get it on the green. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, that, that tournament is on. It'll be wrapping up just about the time that Selection Sunday oh, begins. Do you and think that was the, planned? Uh, oh, how interesting. <laughs> oh, of course it's planned. Sure. <laughs> so what are you gonna, like so that's what you're going to do, golf, and then – Selection well, Sunday. Cleaning the house. I love those chores. Like, <laughs> what do you clean? You just you and the boys, the two cats. Those cats make more more of a disturbance than you can imagine. They, <laughs> they leave their magazines laying around. Yeah. They mm-hmm. have empty drunk glasses of their cat beer. Those their cat cats, nip. Those cats drink like you've never seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I drove by your house. I saw all the bottles that were sitting outside. Damn cats. What about you, Alec? Yeah, I'm kind of just transitioned from golf and basketball into the selection Sunday. It'll, you know, it's an exciting time. We got a lot to look forward to. Josh, I'm not looking to take a nap, so I'm going to avoid golf. Um, <laughs> but Josh, I, shame on you. <laughs> what did Mark Twain say? Golf is a spoiling of a good walk, uh, that's, or something like that. Well, that's uh, a noted author did that one. Yeah. Yeah, but no, I'm going to watch the World Baseball Classic. Uh, there's there's quite a few games on this afternoon, so and into the evening, I've got to do some laundry and stuff. So that that's a good I can watch that, and then when I hear the laundry turn off, I can go and transition. So yeah, uh, Selection Sunday, I don't care. I want to watch the tournament, but I don't care who. I want to know once it's done, so I can do a failed bracket like I do every year. 
It's a we'll tradition. It Put it out a bad bracket. It's a tradition for me to be out of the running by the first weekend. I wish we, you know, wish we could come back and maybe do a Monday night show so we could talk about the bracket. Because by the time we get back to doing the show again, brackets are, are busted. Oh, yeah. We'll, yeah. Be in, we'll be into the second round, as a matter of fact, by yeah. next Sunday. Uh, does Warren Buffett still have his... I think he does. The $10 million or whatever. Yeah. Gosh, almighty. I'd if you love do a perfect that. bracket, yeah. Come Would on, you, between the four of us, we can do a perfect Why not bracket. us? Why we not got us? Why not? We, we, <laughs> there's no way. What, what are the odds, something like... A hundred million to one that yeah, you're going to... Yeah, crazy. Exactly. Well, I think <laughs> I'm going to go home and watch Murdoch Mysteries. Maybe some baseball. There you go. I'll throw some baseball in there, too. All right, guys, I'll see you next Sunday, except for Alec, you won't be here with us. You've got other plans. What's going on next Sunday? Oh, just got some friends coming in to visit, and these friends couldn't give two rips about sports, so I don't think they'll want to listen to me talk talk about it. I actually oh, I think I won't be here next Sunday, either. Really? Yeah, I'll be at Planet Comic Con. Well, Josh, if you're out there listening, or uh, Jake, if you're out there listening, uh, we will need you next Sunday. I doubt you're out there <laughs> listening. He's probably asleep right now. Anyway, thanks for uh, being here. We'll see you guys. Well, I'll see Ned next Sunday. We'll figure out somebody being with us, Ned. want to say thanks to Brian Tyndall, Mike the Intern, Corbin Campbell, and Nick Fury. Enjoy your Sunday. We'll see you next Sunday for Ned Talk.